0: We have with us Jeremy Green. Uh, Jeremy is the preaching minister for the L.J. Church of Christ. He's been at L.J. Congregation since 2015 and prior to that work, he preached for six years in Phoenix, Alabama. And you're also from Phoenix, Alabama, correct? Uh, Jeremy received his undergraduate degree in history and philosophy and his M.A. in ministry from Freed Hardeman University in 2001. He and his wife, Carla, have been married since 2012, and they have two children, Mila, uh, who is two, and Nora, who is one. Uh, Jeremy, of course, is continuing our summer series on the fruit of goodness. And let's bow for a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we approach you now in prayer. We are humbled by your awesome power and your graciousness toward us. As our minds wander, we think of all that you have done and continue to do. Father, we are so thankful and grateful. You are the great and only provider. We are entering now a time of study of your word. We pray our hearts to be open to receive it as you would have it. We pray for your blessing on Brother Jeremy as he presents his lesson. Father, the things in, on our hearts and minds that weigh us down, we want to lift them up to you. We ask your help to do that, and we pray that your will to be done in all of those matters. And Father, continue to guide us and help us seek that guidance. That in our lives, we would seek you only and seek to glorify you in all that we do. And forgive us, Father, when we fall short of that. It's through your Son, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.
1: Well, good evening. It is so good to be here with you uh, in Buford Georgia, uh, or as we say, where I live, Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I love um, coming to Atlanta. Sometimes, though, um, if you've ever seen the um, Avengers movies, there's a scene where um, Thanos, who is the villain, he, he puts on his glove and he snaps his fingers and half the people in the world are gone. Now, I don't want that, but if somebody can snap their fingers and half the people that live here would go back to Florida, that would be wonderful. Um, if you're from Florida, that excludes you, but um, it uh. It is a long way here from L.A.J., not mile-wise, but traffic-wise, uh, so uh, I'm glad to be here with you this evening and appreciate the opportunity. It's weird when you go places as the guest speaker, sometimes you show up, all the preachers vacate, and so I know that your preachers are in various places and, and teaching other classes and doing things tonight, but I really appreciate being here, appreciate uh, the opportunity and, and being asked. Um, our, our topic tonight is, uh, is one that's important. And, um, and we have some some slides up here, um, goodness and, and we 're going to talk a little bit uh, more about that, obviously tonight but but i 'm really appreciative of the study that you guys have uh, going on this summer this idea of of being being fruitful and studying these fruits of the spirits and um, our fruits of the spirit, excuse me our uh, Theme this year at Ella is kind of similar. We're dealing with the concept of being connected, connected. And if you go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, the Book of John, uh, chapter fifteen, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture there. It was nice to uh, to pull up in the parking lot and see some friendly faces. Uh, It it was mentioned that I'm from Phoenix City, Alabama. When I pulled up in the parking lot, um, there was a family there, the Shivers, who've been visiting with y'all, and they're from Phoenix City. And uh, Matthew and I are distantly related. And so um, they they said they were going to be meeting with the elders soon about placing membership. So I'll be meeting with the elders after to talk about y'all a little bit and tell you some things. But um, being connected is important, right? Uh, Everywhere we go, we are connected to people. We are the body of Christ, wherever we go, we find brothers and sisters, and we meet brothers and sisters. Had the opportunity to meet the the Hogans um, sitting down here just a little bit ago, and they were telling me about their, their large family and their grandchildren and, and all that. And that's such an awesome blessing. But the connections that we're talking about here are more than that. The connection that's being discussed here is a connection that sustains us it's the connection that that keeps us going and keeps us moving spiritually and it's the basis for what we're discussing here tonight as well as what we've been discussing all year at LJ we're going to start in verse one I'm reading from the NIV you can follow along however you want it says I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Isn't that what we're talking about here this summer? Bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We know the scene there that Jesus and his disciples are walking along and something causes him to, to think of and use this illustration. But what I want us to note is verse 8, as we get ready to move on in our discussion tonight. This is to my Father's glory. Everything that we're talking about tonight, everything you've talked about all summer, is for the singular purpose of glorifying God in our lives. We don't bear fruit so that we look good or so that uh, our, our name is, is recognized or anything like that. What we do is for the glory of God. This is an amazing thing that we're talking about here tonight, that, that God the Father is there reigning in heaven, and through his son Jesus, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice on the cross, we are able to abide in Jesus and be connected to God in that way. And then we add in this third part of this discussion tonight, in that we, as, as people, have been given by God his spirit to further connect us and help us to grow and help us to bear this fruit uh, in our lives. Nathan Diller was here. I, I love Nathan. Nathan uh, is the preacher at the congregation where I grew up uh, attending there in Columbus, Georgia, the Rose Hill Church. And he talked to you guys about bearing fruit. And, and I watched a little bit of that uh, earlier this week. I know he did a fantastic job. But, but, but it's this idea of, of our connection to each other that makes this, this whole thing go, and it makes, it makes it all possible. And so tonight, we're talking about goodness. Now turn over there to Galatians 5, and let's, let's look at it just a little bit. By the way, our emphasis tonight is not just on looking at what goodness is, although we will do that, but we want to see what that makes us do and how it changes Our lives. Galatians 5. And we're actually going to jump up and contextually look at this and start in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. Paul says here, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit. What is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Now, I want to pause right there for just a second. They are in conflict with each other. I did a lesson uh, earlier this summer on uh, on the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And I showed a, a clip from a Disney movie called The Emperor's New Groove. Anybody ever seen that movie? The Emperor's New Groove? Some of you are going, we don't watch Disney, you know, but uh, and what it is throughout this whole movie, the main character has that little devil on this shoulder and that little angel on this shoulder, and they're always arguing in a very comedic way back and forth about what he should do and, and how he should act, his, his behavior, what it should be, and, and that's a, a funny way to look at it, but, but in reality, although they're not sitting on our shoulder within our and within our spirit there is that conflict every day. There is that conflict of do I do I live by what I want to do, by my fleshly desires, by what makes me happy, by what Jeremy wants to do, or do I live and walk and step with the spirit that God has given me? And here he makes it clear, those things are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and and witchcraft, hatred, and discord, and jealousy, and fits of rage, and selfish, selfish ambition, and dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And by the way, we're reading this list and you know we, we go well I don't, I don't struggle with those things and we may wonder why some of these things are included in here and that's because the people of that day very much wrestled with those temptations and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little while and while I don't suspect that any of you are tempted by practicing witchcraft When we look at things like idolatry and hatred and jealousy and rage and selfish ambition and dissensions and factions and and envy, are those things present in our lives sometimes? Those are the works of the flesh. Those are the works of what I want to do. But the, excuse me, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit Some of these you've already talked about, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, and our topic for tonight, goodness, goodness. Here's where we have to start in a discussion of goodness, it's in Romans chapter 7. What I'm gonna say right now is not gonna be very popular, and, so, and I don't mean it as an insult to us or um, and as a slight in any way. You and I are not good people. You and I are not good people. And, I, and you're going, you don't know me. How can you say I'm not a good person? Because I know as people, we're not good. We're, we are selfish. We are judgmental, we are greedy, we envy other people, we like to gossip, we struggle with honesty, we just, as, as people, we're not good. Listen to what Paul says right here. Now this is Paul, this, this, is, this is the most influential person outside of Christ in our New Testament. Listen to what he says in Romans 7. And we could read this whole wonderful passage, but we'll just pick out verse 18. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. As a person, I am not good. As a person by myself, left to my own desires, there can be no goodness within me. And that's a That's a harsh reality to deal with. I've been in discussions with people so many times who were in a Bible study or trying to convert their friend, and they said, oh, you know, they're not a Christian yet, but, you know, they're just such a good person. Well, that's a nice thing to say, but it's just not true. Because outside of our relationship with God through Christ, which gives us the Holy Spirit, we are not good. There is no within the human being left to our own fleshly desires and not having that spiritual life, we're not good. That good doesn't dwell in us. And so then, I guess in our discussion tonight, before we can even talk about what goodness does, we got to figure out how do we get there? How do we get to being good people? Because goodness, as I believe we're going to figure out tonight, is a lot more than just not doing awful, terrible things all the time. And furthermore, let me say this. I think the word good or goodness has been made weak in our society. I was listening to a a sermon uh, on YouTube a while back where they were talking about this very thing. And if you think about it, our society as a whole, if you gave us this choice between good or bad, we would pick bad. Anybody ever heard the song, Good, Good, Leroy Brown? What about the Michael Jackson song, I'm good? No? Um, good, good to the bone, right? What? It, it, bad. We like, hey, somebody says, you're bad. You, I sure am, I'm bad. <laughs> you know, the, that we've glorified that in our society. What about good? We've made it weak. All right, you be good now. Or, or you tell your children when, when they're at home, hey, I'm gonna go run to the store, you, you be good. Our, our definition of good is essentially not doing anything bad. But, but how can that be if we're told that, that God's spirit living within us produces goodness, how can goodness be doing nothing? And so, so I wanna suggest to us at the outset of this that number one, we cannot be good by ourselves. And number two, for us to bear this fruit, we have to move beyond the world's definition of what good is, amen? And so hopefully we can, we can do that in our discussion tonight. So how, how do we change? How do we go from not being good to being good? Well, I think we've gotta be living by the Spirit, first off. So this is um, PowerPoint and Apple not agreeing very well. So some of the things got cut off just a little bit, but this is a hard thing for us, right? Holy Spirit discussion. It's uh, been the subject of disagreement and misunderstandings and confusion among Christians uh, since the biblical text was given to us. I don't claim to have every answer, but this is what I can tell you I know. What I know about the Holy Spirit is what the Bible tells me. That when I become a Christian, that God gives me his spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, uh, starting in verse 37, they asked Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're told that God gives us the Spirit as a, as a mark, as a seal, as a guarantee of our inheritance. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that God's Spirit dwells within us, both individually and collectively as the church. Now, how do, what does that mean that the Spirit dwells in us? I tell the people at LJ all the time, if you go to the hospital, you take a Christian and a non-Christian and you run them through a CT machine, uh, get, get a scan, you're not going to see one person who you go in and go, oh, there's the Holy Spirit right there under the ribcage. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about it dwelling in us in the same way that God is with us, in the same way that Christ dwells in us, in the same way that the word of Christ dwells in us, Colossians 3. 16, that God gives us his spirit and it produces something in our lives. What does that mean, though, to be living by the spirit? Well, let's look. Jump over to Ephesians 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 18. Well, let's jump up and start in verse 15, give a little context. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he says, take, take advantage of your time. You need to be paying attention to it. So it says to preachers at summer series, make sure you pay attention to your time, right? But notice verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now that seems like an odd comparison of two things, wine and the, and the Spirit. Well, where does that comparison come from? Well, it comes in part from, I believe, uh, the the serious condemnation of drunkenness in God's Word. There can be all sorts of discussions and, and arguments about the drinking of alcohol from the biblical perspective, but no one can deny that God's Word strictly and clearly condemns the idea of drunkenness in God's Word. But here it's talking about more than that. When he says there, I don't want you to be drunk with wine, he is condemning early first century religious practices. What they would do is, is, um, is they would go and they would gather together in a temple and just drink and drink and drink and get so drunk to the point that they thought they were in communion with their gods. That's why we see there in, the, in Acts chapter 2 when all the disciples are there and they say, look, it's early in the morning and they're already drunk with new wine. Well, that's because that was a common religious practice of the day. Those of you that grew up in the 60s and 70s, uh, that, that was something that was common in that culture, except it it wasn't alcohol, it was um, psychedelic drugs, and they thought that that put them in communion, put them on another plane, on another level. Well, here, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine to be a stronger Christian, to have that relationship with God. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, with alcohol, the natural thought, when you hear that word filled, for me, is, is an overflowing glass. You, you go and you see that, and it, and it continues to be filled up, and it's overflowing, and that, that glass there is full. And so in our lives, it should be that, you know, not physically, but spiritually, we are so in tune with, with God and His Spirit that that Spirit overflows in our lives. And, and that's a really good picture, and that's a good illustration except it's not really the illustration being used here. Instead, the, what the writer had in mind here, Paul, about this word filled was, was something like what you see on this, on this screen. Um, John MacArthur does a good job of fleshing, fleshing this illustration out in some of his writing. It's this idea of, of a sailboat being, being driven or being carried along by the wind that is completely and totally reliant on a power bigger than itself to move along. Now, I don't want to go too far with that illustration because I have never been on a sailboat, nor do I intend to. Um, My sailing experience was at the beach as a little kid, just putting it in the water and watching it go, but you're completely reliant on something else to move you along. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To not worry about being in a relationship with God through, through drunkenness and that sort of communion. Or, or, or when you talk about orgies, that's what it's talking about there. People would come together in a, in a sexual experience to be closer to God. Or gluttony, if you read about it in the Bible, they would go and eat and gorge themselves and eat again because they thought that it brought, a, brought them closer to God. Instead here, he says, if you want to have that relationship with God, be filled with his spirit. Let that guide you and move you and lead you along in the direction you ought to go. Romans 8, if you want to flip there with me. Romans chapter 8. So not only are we filled with the Spirit, but we're led by the Spirit. And Romans 8, of course, is one of the, one of the great chapters of the Bible. You could take the time to read it. It's talking about life in the Spirit. And then starting in verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father and the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children and he goes on to talk about the fact that, that we're heirs Children are wonderful. Um, I have a, a one-year-old and a two-year-old daughter at home. Um, that, by the way, was not the way it was planned. If you're thinking, why would you do that? It was a happy surprise to us all. Um, we we had, had an interesting journey to having kids. Um, we, uh, we at, in our very first uh, pregnancy, my wife had a miscarriage at um, 17 and a half weeks, and uh, it was a very, very difficult time And then after that, um, we had a hard time um, getting pregnant again. She had two more miscarriages before we were able to to have a child. And that's why uh, we're way too old to have a two-year-old and a one-year-old, but we do anyway. And um, so when when we had our little girl, Mila, um, and it was a hard pregnancy and she was on bed rest and all those things, it was um, the most special day of our entire lives. just uh an amazing awesome day and then just about 18 months later another one uh came along and uh and and my favorite thing in the whole wide world is to just sit and hold my little girl at night we have a recliner there in the living room and and i put one on each knee and i and i just hold them sometimes and just stare at them and i know there will come a day where they don't want that anymore but right now they do And that's just an awesome feeling. And I can't help but realize sometimes that that relationship that I have with my little girls is the same relationship that we have with God. We can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And when I leave this world, whatever little money I have in the bank and whatever possessions I have acquired in my life, those will go to those two little girls. And on that, on that same level and in that same way, everything that God has belongs to us. Think, think about for a minute, and I don't want to stray too far down this road, but think about for just a minute how valuable we are to God. Go and read, when you have some time, the 8th Psalm and read what it says. And, and David says, who is, who is man... That God has, has, has made us the way we are. He made us just a little bit lower than the angels. Then you get over to Matthew and you read it and the question is asked, you know, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And we think about that in our own life sometimes, but think about that from God's perspective. If you get a scale and you put, in, put on one end everything in the whole wide world, the History Channel did a, a, a thing a few years ago where they took and they tried to take all the earth's resources, all the lumber and everything, the, the gems and everything that you could acquire to see how much this world would be worth. Um, and it came out to seven quadrillion dollars. Any uh, math people in here, math majors, accountants, um, that, that's a whole lot of ze- I think it's 15 zeros behind that seven. Put that on, on one side of this scale. And on the other side, put one soul. And God says that one soul is more valuable than the whole world to me. It's amazing. And, and, and when we are led by the Spirit in our lives, we have that opportunity to cry out to God and say, Abba, Father. Then in Galatians 5, living by the Spirit. How do we get there? How do we go from from the fleshly desires and and that greed and envy and all those things that are fleshly to to being here? And the answer is, it is a transformation that takes place. We struggle with conforming. That, That word conforming in Greek is actually used twice in the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you know that verse very well. Do not be what? You can say it, you can talk out loud. Do not be, but instead be right. So, so conforming is just us saying we want to be like everybody else. I and mean, we're told in First John two fifteen through 17, those things, those are passing away. But the person who does the will of God abides forever. That's what we want to be, right? And then he, he uses it again in First Peter chapter 1, verse 14. This idea of, of us, when we're supposed to be so different, being like everybody else and not growing and not transforming and not changing. So how do I get to the desires of the flesh, the things that that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and and into chapter 3 that make me fleshly, not even able to understand spiritual things. It makes me like a mere mortal or a mere man, according to Paul's words. How do we get from that to this? Well, I I got a couple ways, and then we're gonna spend the rest of our time looking at goodness. Number one, we have to be properly motivated. We've got to be properly motivated to to make this transformation. Properly motivated. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are compelled or we are motivated by one thing. The love of Jesus Christ. We have to have that as the motivation. We have to go back and look and put ourselves at the scene of the cross that day and let that be our motivation for the way that we live and the things that we do. Secondly, spiritual activity, spiritual activity. When Kyle uh, originally asked me to come, he, he wrote a little bit about what your theme for the year is. By the way, I, I will tell you a little bit about this process, and y'all can kid him when you get back. So the way that summer series invitations usually works is you have a, a list of preachers, and you have a list of topics, and you send it out like in an email or make a call, and everybody sort of picks and chooses well, when I got Kyle's, there was only two topics left out of the whole summer. So that helped me figure out pretty quick where I was in the pecking order. I was happy that I wasn't the last one. I know who the last one was. I'll pick on them about it later. But you're talking this year about, about being active, right? You talked about focusing last year. This year you're talking about going and, and doing. Well, spiritually it's the same thing. Not that we can ever work ourselves into a right relationship, but we've got to be people who are spiritually active. This is not a thing that's just going to happen through osmosis. You're not going to sit and hear sermons all the time and be like, well, now I'm changed. Now I'm transformed. Now I'm being led by the spirit. It's a daily activity and chore to go and make a decision to, to yield to these fruits, to, to, to be joyful, to be loving, to, to be peaceful, to have self-control, all these things. It is, it is active every day. And then third, in conjunction with that, we've got to be growing. Growing. Our theme verse for the year at LJ is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. that talks about growing and maturing into the picture that we want to be. And then that last one there, and, and, and this we could spend all day here looking more like Jesus. Looking more like Jesus. And we're going to come back to that at the end of our lesson, but... If we, can, if we can have the right motivation, which is that love of Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross, if we can be active people who are constantly working, if we can be constantly growing, and when I say growing, I mean finding measurable things. I use this illustration sometimes for those of you that um, didn't live at my house with my wife and you were allowed to write on the walls. You had your kids and you put them at a door jam and every time they would grow, you would mark it until they got up to, well, that's what we're talking about here. Spiritual milestones. Where have I grown? How am I different? What progress am I making? And then looking more like Jesus, traits of living by the Spirit. So let's talk about goodness here. There, there's your Greek word, uh, agathosune, and, uh, and that's the word goodness. Um, if you know anybody named Agatha, if you remember Agatha Christie, that word means good. That's where we get it. It comes there from the Greek in the word uh, this is the root word, we're good, that's used over and over in the Bible. And, uh, and you're going to get a special, this is the Jeremy definition of goodness in the Bible, which means absolutely nothing, but this is what you get, right? Goodness is our personal, intrinsic quality that manifests itself in our conduct and relationships. It, it is personal in that... It's something that that we have to learn to possess ourselves. It's intrinsic in that it's something within us. Uh, Goodness is something that is within us. But then when we have that quality within us, developed by God's Spirit, it manifests itself first in our conduct, things that we would say those are good, and then secondly, in our relationships, in the way that we treat other people. So it's personal, it's intrinsic, but it shows itself in our conduct and our relationships. It's an interesting Greek word because it's not used in any other Greek texts anywhere in recorded history except biblical texts. It's only used in the Bible. And that's interesting, I think, for a number of reasons that we'll talk about in a minute. And it's contrary to our fleshly desires as we talked a little bit about in Romans 7. So, so, So I want you to have this in your mind here that, that it's a personal quality that, that manifests itself in our outward behavior, and it's only used in the Bible. And so these are the places that this word is used in the New Testament. Actually only used four times, which is, is pretty rare and pretty amazing. So we're going to take just a couple minutes and look at them, if you'll indulge me. First, uh, we looked at Galatians 5.22. Turn over to Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, as a Bible teacher, I'm about to do something very bad. Verse 11 starts with the phrase, with this in mind. So guess what we ought to be doing before we ever get to verse 11? Reading verses 1 through 10, right? But, But for time's sake, we won't do that. So, contextually, it talks about being thankful and having a prayer life and all that. But in verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. By the way, that phrase worthy of his calling, you could spend your entire life trying to figure out what it means and you'd never scratch the surface. There's no way that I as a person can ever be worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. But he says there that God makes us worthy and that by his power, He may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. What is he saying there? He's saying this. I want to be good. I have a desire for goodness, both intrinsically within my spirit and in my deeds that are prompted by faith. The only way that we can be good, is by his power. Let me say that one more time. The only way that you and I can ever have goodness, which is what we just talked about, is by God's power. He makes us good. Let's look there, Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. This is an interesting one. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Here he's going to elaborate on what that means. Filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You're full of goodness. So we're trying to define goodness and see what goodness is here, right? Well, let's look at this one definition here in Romans Goodness is associated with two things here knowledge and instruction You know, it's really good uh, to know something It's really good to to know something But just because you know uh, something Doesn't mean that you are um, able to do it That's an important thing uh, to know in life, is it not? Just because you know something doesn't mean you're um, able to do it. For instance, um, I, uh, I know a lot about baseball. Any Braves fans here? here raise your hand. Braves fans. Okay. Uh, I'm a Cubs fan. It's not as happy of a life uh, right now. Um, I, I love the Cubs. I've loved them since I was a little bitty kid, uh, and I love baseball. I played it, uh, until I was uh, not athletically able enough anymore. And then I started playing softball when I was an adult. I, I love it. And I can tell you, I can stand up here and tell you how to throw almost every pitch that a major league pitcher can throw. Uh, I, can, I can show you how to throw a, a two seam fastball and a four seam fastball and um, a curve ball and a circle change up and, and kinda sorta a slider. I can tell you all about that. I can tell you a little bit, at least, about the physics of why it works and why it spins the way it does. But strangely enough, uh, the Cubs have not called me uh, to come pitch in the bullpen. Um, They have not um, told me they want me to take batting practice with them. I was not invited to the home run derby nor the all-star game. Because just because I know those things doesn't make me able to do them. And I think that's an important point. For us as Christians, knowing is wonderful. Studying the word is important, but here he says in conjunction with that is instruction, being able to apply and teach and live those things out. So for us, just knowing what is good is not enough. It's being able to practice and teach and share that goodness, sharing that goodness. And then Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, another great chapter here, but we're just going to look at verses 8 and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You are a light to the world, a city set on a hill, as Jesus told us. Then he puts this in parentheses Parenthetical statement, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, whenever these three things are are put together in, in the Bible, whenever there's three words or three characteristics like that put together, they have to have something tying them, right? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. I wanna tell you what I believe to be true about these three words. I think that those last two words are, are descriptors of the first one. I think goodness there is the broad word of what we're aiming for. And right there under that are righteousness and truth. But what is righteousness? What is righteousness? First time we read about righteousness in the Bible is Galatians, or excuse me, Galatians, Genesis chapter six, verse nine, is talking about a man named Noah. You remember those descriptions of Noah? He was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. To be righteous means to be right. It's almost like a legal term to not have anything that can be held against you. To be right and and, and, and almost uh, be perfect, not not necessarily in conduct and thought, but just doing the right things every day, following directions. And by the way, following God's directions is a really important biblical principle. Obedience is something we need to talk more and more about. And then he says there, in truth, honesty. So he says here, if we want to be good, not only in in Romans there do we have to have this idea of of knowledge and application together, but we also have to have here in Ephesians this concept of, of righteousness and truth. To be good means to be righteous, to be honest, to be smart, to be knowledgeable, to to be able to apply. It is a broad, all-encompassing term that talks about Christian behavior, being good. And as we get ready to wrap up, I want to tell you this about goodness. Last week, you talked about kindness, and goodness and kindness are are synonyms. But when you think about kindness, uh, sometimes that just has to do with being very nice all the time. Somebody that's kind. Somebody that's sweet. Somebody that you liked. I want to suggest to you tonight that goodness is more than that. Goodness is being good, and sometimes goodness is standing up for what's good. Jesus was described as good when he went through and drove all those people out of the temple when they were doing wrong. It's good to stand up when we see sin being completely perpetrated by the world and and permeating every part of our culture and our society. To be good does not always necessarily mean to be kind. To be good as we defined it is knowing what is right, being in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, having that relationship with God, having been transformed instead of being conformed and being good in the way that God is good. But let's not forget that God is not always gentle. God is not always sweet. Some people might say God's not always kind, but God is always good. And for us, in goodness, if we want to be in step with the Spirit, we want to bear that fruit, it is being good all the time. It's denying the bad, denying the flesh, denying the things that we want to do, and knowing what is good and doing it. And bearing that fruit every day in our lives. Being good is biting your tongue when you want to say what you really want to say. It's sacrificing financially to help other people in need. It's stepping in the middle of a a conflict. It's correcting wrong behavior. It's the all-encompassing term of showing us to do what is good when we know what's right. It's a broad term, but it's a very hard term to live out. And so maybe you're wondering you're saying, man, this is, a, this is a hard word to comprehend. It, it is. It's a difficult concept. There, there's not a lot of material written about this. There's not a lot of things because it's hard for people to understand. They open up their Bible and go, man, this word is only used four times in the text. And it's hard for us to nail down and identify. But here, I'm going to tell you the secret. We talked about it a minute ago. The secret to being good. Are you ready? This is the secret to being good all the time do what Jesus did. There's the secret. Let me tell you one more time. The secret to being good, to bearing the fruit of goodness is to do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. As we get ready to close and offer an invitation, uh, I want to tell you my favorite sermon illustration. I use it a whole bunch. It has to do with uh, movie 300 if you ever saw that movie Uh, and, and the movie's not that great to be honest but it depicts the Battle of Thermopylae there at the Battle of Thermopylae 300 Spartan soldiers were able to fend off the largest army in the world and make sure that their city survived you've seen this in the movie you've read about the things in history And that's interesting, but what's really interesting is what the culture was like after that. Those 300 soldiers were revered as heroes. And for those school children growing up in that Spartan society, one of their responsibilities was they had to learn all 300 of those soldiers' names while they were little elementary school students. They had to learn 300 names. They had to have them ingrained in their memory about who they were and what they did and the fact that they sacrificed so that those children could have a life. You know, as Christians, we have that same responsibility, but it's a lot easier for us. We only have to remember one name. The name above all names. The name at which every knee will bow. Those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth. The name which God has exalted, the name which we wear, the name that will save us on the judgment day, the only name we have to remember because of the sacrifice that He made for us is the name of Jesus. What an awesome thing to be a child of God saved by the blood of Christ. Listen, we're not good. We're not good as people. We're faulty, we make mistakes, and we sin. I don't see that should be an excuse. We need to strive for a standard of perfection every day. But we fall short. We're not good because we're people. But because of God and his love for us, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, because of God's spirit that dwells in us, we can bear the fruit of goodness if we look more like Jesus every day. We're going to have this invitation. If you're struggling with some sin in your life and your life does not look like Jesus, In 2 Corinthians 3, it says we're being transformed into that image every day. And if you want to get back on the right track, you can come forward and we'll pray with you and pray for you. Or if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you want to be good in the way that the Bible says to be good, we'd love to help you with that tonight. You can confess Jesus as Lord. You can have those sins washed away in baptism after repenting of your sins. And you can leave here walking a new life tonight. Whatever your need may be, come as we stand and sing together.